Hello, Guru Fateh. Welcome to the Sikhcast. Thank you for being with us. We are back with the Shabbat of the week. And today I have a special guest with me, Harinder. Harinder Singh. How's it going, man? Good. Vayuji Khalsa, Vajik Fateh. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for being with us for the Shabbat of the week. Yeah, my pleasure. So today's Shabbat that we're going to discuss is titled, I Cannot Live Without All Pervasive for Even a Moment or an Instant. So, Harinder, we'll stick to our original format that, that we have together where, where you will read uh, the Gurbani text and uh, I'll read the English and then we'll talk about this. Sounds good. So, Rag Asavari Kar Sola Ke Do Mahala Chotha Sudhang Ik Oankar Sat Gur Prasad How Andin Harnam Kirtan Karo Satguru Moko Harnam Bataya How Harbin Kilpal Rahanasako Rahao Hamra Sravan Simran Har Kirtan how Harbin Rahana Sako How Ikkin Jesse Hans Sarver Bin Rahana Sake Tesse Harjan Kyorahe Harseva Bin Kinhu Preet Lai Duja Pao Rid Tar Kinhu Preet Lai Moho Apaman Harjan Preet Lai Har Nirvan Pad Nanak Simrat Har Har Pagwan I glorify all pervasive nam every day. I was imparted all pervasive nam by the eternal Guru. I cannot live without all pervasive for even a moment or an instant. Reflect. I listen and remember all pervasive glory. I cannot live without all pervasive for even a moment. As the swan cannot live without the pond, similarly, all pervasive servant cannot live without all pervasive service. Some develop love in their hearts for other loves. Some develop love for attachment and pride. All pervasive servants develop love for all pervasive's freedom state. O Nanak, they remember the divine. All pervasive, all pervasive. So, Harinder, let's uh, break down this transcreation a little bit. Sure. I think there are some interesting uh, trivial things, perhaps. I mean, they're not trivial, but what we generally call trivial in this, even the heading of this. Um, So I want to spend maybe uh, a couple of minutes on that. So, you know, the title here, it says Raga Savari, and some of your uh, listeners might be wondering about that. And then there was a term Sudhang used, which is a rare thing. It comes in Gurbani. And what does that Sudhang mean? And obviously there is a car mentioned. So, you know, Raga Savari, uh, first thing I want to say that there is not much of an agreement because I think there is a lack of research uh, as to what Rag Asa or Raga Savari are. But if I go by the classification, because I like to look at the internal evidence of Guru Granth Sahib, it is classified under Rag Asa. And Rag Asa, uh, you know, you don't find too much of Rag Asa in the own Indian texts. But you do find a lot of ragasa by Guru Nanak Sahib himself. So that shows that uh, Guru Nanak Pacha probably has a lot of affinity for this rag. Some even say that he even started it. And this is listed within the classification of ragasa, which is a morning rag. You know what we six generally call Amrit Vela rag, uh, which is early morning hours. And Asavari is considered part of that. 
within the Sikh tradition. And the word Sudhang comes, and Sudhang, some people might be wondering what it is. Uh, I want to just mention a couple of things about it. One is, some say, or some general understanding is it's Shudhang, or Shudhang, which basically means that Guru Arjan Patsha and some of the Shabads, they have written this word, uh, which implies, uh, if you look at purely from a uh, musical angle, that if there are music nerds out there, that uh, the Shudrag is Asa, and here is uh, Asavari with it, which essentially means uh, that Shud and Asavari, which means Asa and Asavari have been combined together here. So that's one way to look at it, in case anyone's wondering about what this is. Kairz, uh, I'm not gonna not gonna get too much into it. Sikhs Institute is developing a full course on it. There's a lot of research happening on this, but essentially, Kairz have to do with how people, uh, how you sing, which includes the percussion elements, but it is not exclusive just to percussion. So there's a whole mode of you know how when composers are composing, they're writing even in today's world as to uh, each instrumentation idea comes in. So in this case. Uh, cars are describing, there are up to 17 cars in Guru Granth Sahib, they're describing how to sing it, uh, including the instrumentation element. So, with that, um, you know, if Ragasa is, uh, this is fourth Guru Shabad, uh, and, and if you just even look at the first part, the Rahav line, which is where we're supposed to pause and reflect, uh, it's very simple, but it is very profound, because what is being said? It says, I am glorifying all pervasive nam every day. Yeah? And why? Well, the why part doesn't come in yet. It says, I was imparted. How? All pervasive nam by the eternal guru. I cannot live without all pervasive for even a moment or an instant. So there's a differentiation done between a moment and an instant. Pal and kin, for example, are the exact words. So first part we're being told is that this whole energy, this whole idea is being is coming out of all-pervasive, which is a term we are utilizing in Ikora and I for all-pervasive, for her. Her is the idea which is the divine, the force which is all-pervasive everywhere, this idea of a force. So uh, Guru Ramdas, I was saying, I glorify that force. So not individualities or the fixations of the ideas of God or Allah or Yahweh or whatever else terms we might have, but something which is all pervasive. And Nam is the word which is used in a culture of Nam in sixth sense, which is initial, this is the way I identify. I sing about it. I glorify about it. Kirtan is the word. We're using glorification for Kirtan. Kirtan means to praise. In Sikh tradition, it is not praise in terms of you like this or you're building someone. The kirtan implies when the highest level of glorification is happening, including in the singing form. So firstly, the guru is singing. Secondly, guru is singing about the force which is everywhere. And thirdly, this is how guru is identifying with it. And how does Guru know all this? It says, I understood, I got this training, this imparting, this learning from my Guru, the eternal Guru, which essentially means the eternal wisdom. And because I have, I have been thinking about this, and you know this, and when we are into something a lot, even at our human mortal levels of temporary relationships, we are really into it, and we feel we cannot live without it. But Guru Ramdas Pasha is completely into it, and he says, I can't live without this now. You know, this is like, I'm not just, he's high on life is sort of idea going on. 
that I can't live without not glorifying the force, uh, even for a second or an instant. So in that context, the whole Shabbat is set up, and this was the Rahau line or the reflective idea. And, the, and what does he say? He says, I listen, I remember all pervasive glory. So he's not only just singing. He says, I listen to it too, which means others glorify it. Because if it's all pervasive, there is no one individual who can fully tell you about the infinite. Because it's everywhere. It's all pervasive. So he listens to it. The guru listens, and the guru remembers, and the guru cannot live without it, which means guru is uh, is inseparable from the all-pervasive force itself. Um, and then there is an analogy given, as a swan cannot live without the pond, similarly, all-pervasive servant cannot live without all-pervasive service. So this idea of uh, uh, you know, uh, the swan symbolism is, uh, is, a, is a very positive South Asian symbol, which is used a lot, but swan is always in the pond. Similarly, uh, uh, the devotee of all-pervasive is always in the force. So, you know, a lot of this all-pervasive idea is coming back again. And then the second part of this, uh, there is a lot of heaviness, I guess, in terms of contemporary or even neo new age religiosity. But let me just get into it. He says, you know, we all develop different things. We develop loves for different things. And that's what Guru is saying. Ramdas Pasha says some develop love in their hearts for other loves. Other loves, uh, in Gurbani the phrase is Duja Pao, which essentially means love which is for something other than the all-pervasive. So all, all other loves of life. And some develop love for attachment and pride, implying that these are uh, things which give rise to your own ego. All pervasive servant develops love for all pervasive freedom state. And let me uh, stop here for a second because we are all going to develop some love. What is this freedom state? Freedom state is the word, nirvana word is used, which most people in contemporary languages, a parlance are used to nirvana. So it says, well, some develop love for other love, some develop love for attachment and pride, but all pervasive servants, people who operate in force, they develop love for all pervasive freedom state, which means they want they don't want to be confined to anything. Oh Nanak, they remember the divine, all pervasive, all pervasive. So essentially this is this is more of a this is like a song and a declaration in one. Uh, you know, when you are singing about something you repeat a lot because you are so much in love. And this is what Professor Purun Singh calls this a creative repetition which cannot be understood from cognitive skill sets because cognitive skill sets ask you to just, uh, you know, mechanically or other ways um, analyze what is happening. But when somebody is in love, they all they want to do is talk about the one they are in love with. Uh, they are consumed by it. They are surrounded by it. And um, that's sort of what is happening here. Great. So how do we, so I, I get what you're saying and I love the trans creation. So how do we make this even more, and it is deep, it is profound, but it's a little more practical. How do we put this into people's everyday lives? Is there like an example you can share uh, or a good analogy that, that might work that would hopefully, hopefully click with listeners? Well, the, the idea here which is being discussed is developing love, right? So we all develop loves for different things in our lives. Let's bring it to our mundane level. 
until we are in really in love. What do we have love for? You know, it depends on your age, your circumstances, uh, different things we desire. Uh, some desire particular sexuality, some desire particular cars, so they develop love for those things. Some develop love for particular foods. Uh, and what Guru Ramdas Pasha is saying, and, and this is very important, and I keep repeating Guru Ramdas Pasha on a purpose, because when we relate it to the one who is sharing this, Mahala Chotha, the fourth embodiment, this is an individual who grew up in today's terminology, very poor. Somebody who was, who had a basically, you know how we have hot dog stands in New York City? Something like that in Amritsar outside Darbar sub-complex. He had a stand to sell chole or kunganiya, as they were called lovingly uh, in Sikh traditions, um, grams. So basically a stand owner who... Um, just imagine that. Just imagine the level of desires this child might have had because as a child he was doing that. The kind of loves he would develop for things. And this is the nirvana or the freedom state of this guru where he says, you know what? Once I develop the love for the all-pervasive force in this world, nothing else mattered because I have seen it. I have seen people develop love for other things which give them particular attachment. Attachment is used for what? We, you know, we get attached to things. Sometimes we get attached to people. And that's what he's describing. Sometimes we have other loves. Other loves could be anything which takes you away from your real love. They could be people. They could be things. They could be self-love. They could be, you know, when we say in today's language, you know, we say um, people are nihilistic. Uh, people are fatalistic. You know, those kind of terminologies. But he says, I become your servant. I only serve you. And in your service, I have achieved freedom. So the, the way to correlate with this is that here is somebody who materially and social status-wise, in terms of belongingness, was at a lower social strata, at the lowest uh, probably uh, ladder level, right? And the individual, as an individual, saw all these things and all their desires and at some point, he overpowered all of them. He eventually overpowered everything. That's why he became a guru. He became perfect. But in his journey, it's so clear. And in our journeys, we, we, we want to get there, but something brings us back down, uh, whether it is personal things, personalities, particular desires. He's saying eventual freedom is when none of this holds you down uh, rather, uh, that, in fact, is the love, then everything, uh, you're able to transcend everything. Great. Thank you for that. I just want to talk about one other thing about developing love. Um, so I don't want people, uh, you know, this conversations I have with my wife and uh, other people, too, when we talk about love and attachment, and we even use the word uh, attachment here as well. So how could we just uh, decode that just for a second? Some people are like, you should, you know, your kids could be attachment, right? So, and it gets all, uh, I, I, I just want to say it gets all mixed up, uh, you know, when you're like, oh, you shouldn't love your kids that much, or there's some to be a higher calling and, and love the guru, but then, you know, the guru loved their kids too. So it's just like, 
and um, the word attachment gets thrown in there. And so I, I, that threw me off just a little, just because I've heard it in so many other contexts. Could we just talk about that and how that's uh, what type of attachment we're talking about here? Sure. So I think, you know, when we take anything by itself, it sounds conflicting. When we see it as a developmental process, because the word develop gets used, it's, you know, the line which was used is the preet lie, you know, preet lie. So preet is love, and love could be for anything or anyone, and lie is when you develop it. So what happens is, and this is why when I was trying to present among Guru Ramdas Pasha's own history a little bit, if you reflect on it, he's going through this phase as well. We go through these phases. So this is not saying do not, at even a human level, love your children, your wife, your neighbor, or whatever else, countrymen, fellow travelers, whatever you want to call it. This is not that. This is saying, but they are not yours at the end of the day. This is saying you do everything for them, but now at the cost of losing your own relationship with the uh, highest level of ownership in this world, which is the divine. So essentially saying uh, you are not, you are here for a larger purpose. There is a larger force in this world. You have a relationship with that force too. If you have great human relationships, you're going to develop a great divine relationship. But not every human relationship is going to become great. We know this in our lives. We know this, that there are dictators and people who do devilish and satanish and evilish things on this earth, not afterwards. So you're not going to have great relationships, even in extreme political circumstances, and sometimes in their home circumstances too, just like in Guru's families too. They had kids who revolted. They had kids who joined the state against them. They had, you know, all sorts of things happening in their households too. So attachment essentially means it's a level of development. And once you transcend that relationship, you are able to go beyond it. One way to look at it is, you know, in our vocabulary, it's not you're not reminding people that you did this for them. If you're doing that, then you're almost holding them, you know, um, blackmailing them at some point. We do that, like South Asian Punjabi community is very known to do that because that's sort of an attachment. The other aspect of that or the flip side of the attachment, because we're talking about kids, is when your kids keep messing up instead of correcting them, you're so attached that you keep overlooking them, which means you're not really giving them a value system. So those are some ways to look at it. But in the context of this Shabbat, let's pick on the word Nirvana again, because it actually is with those lines. It says... Uh, the freedom, the nirvan, is when you, when nothing stops you, including your relationship with your spouse or your kids or with yourself even, when nothing stops you from being part of the larger divine culture, the larger all-pervasive culture. In fact, you know, this might be a good time to even mention a little bit about nirvan, which essentially is nirvana, which I know today it means freedom. Uh, but it didn't start out as like, because this word is, uh, uh, you know, is an Indic word which gets used in a lot of uh, Hindu and Indian traditions before it gets used in the Buddhist tradition. It actually used to mean something which is blown out or extinguished. That's the etymological meaning of the word, which means this is the original meaning of the word. At some point, because there's a revolt, I would say, against Vedas by or Upanishads by the Buddhist systems, this becomes Nirvana, which was probably... Um, uh, on purpose, I would think, uh, the word gets reinterpreted to being, uh, no, 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 we're not going to extinguish anything. We're not going to blow out anything. We're going to actually become free even in that state. So 
I think that idea gets utilized in Gurbani as well, a lot as well. And within Guru Granth Sahib, the Nirban word gets used as an adjective as well, as a noun as well. Um, but specifically in our context, um, uh, the, the freedom needs to be understood that this, this is how Sikh tradition also accepts it. Something like a Buddhist tradition where uh, this is not not participating in life, but actually not being attached to the participation in the life itself. Uh, the Sanskrit meaning used to, uh, which eventually now also means moksha, I'm sure you've heard of it, which means mukti, which means freedom. Chutkara, which is also freedom. Rehai, which means emancipation. You know, uh, so the, the word needs to be understood that these are processes. This is a state of existence, not an abstract, but something you are delved in, something you are operating in, and then you are letting go. Hope that helps. That helps a lot. Appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that with us. Because the shovel itself is really about love, and everything else is around love, and the love is something which is grows. It grows on you. It's developed is the word we are using here. Preet lai, right? So preet lai, uh, one of the learnings for me, you know, for models like us to understand from the perfect guru is, well, this happens when you are in glory when you live in glory, when you listen to glory, when you speak glory, when you sing glory, and then you serve. The very clearly it says in this Shavad, when you serve, it happens. So it doesn't happen on its own. This is a process again. And this is how, and you, we can see this in our relationships as well. Relationship grows. Relationship with the divine also grows. Relationship with the world grows. And according to Guru Ram Das Padsha, Harjan Preet Lai Har Nirban Pad Nanak Simrat Har Har Pagwan that the all pervasive servants, all pervasive devotees, they also develop this love by listening, by feeling, by singing, by serving. So that's the process Guru Ramdas Pastor takes us. And when we look at his life, that's exactly what you see from his childhood all the way to becoming the uncontested leader of the Sikh nation. And then Guru Granth Sahib, when that happened, the only time the word Puri Hoi Karamat, Karamat is something magical because Guru does not believe in spells and charms and magics, but the term gets invoked, Karamat, when somebody like Guru Ramdas, whose background is such that, that the world would not have anything to do with him, he goes through this process, develops himself, hears, listens, feels, serves, and then has an incredible love relationship with the divine and becomes the uncontested leader of the Sikh nation. So this is very, very real. This is very, very profound. This, is, this enlarged him. Love enlarges us. And that's what this Shabbat is talking about. Okay, on to um, uh, what am I up to? Uh, well, one of the things I'm working on is, uh, is uh, an article on 84. There are lots of stuff being talked about, 84, June 84. I actually wanted to look into detail, um, somewhat of a details of the role, role of the generals and the role of the army and the battalions, just to make it a point that this is not um, some sort of a, a thing which government said in its official version of white paper, but it is actually very well planned. And I wanted to just give details of that plan as to uh, the, the real involvement of the generals of the Indian Army. Great. No, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I'm sure the listeners learned a lot. I certainly did. I certainly do every time I do Shabbat of the Week. If anybody wants to uh, see the Shabbat 
in Gurbani, listen to it in the rag it's supposed to be in, and see our transcreation, please log on to sikri.org, click on the experience tab, you'll see what's happening, you'll see all the Shabbos of the week there as well. Uh, Harinder Singh, thank you for taking some time out today and being with us and sharing the transcreation, appreciate it. My pleasure, Manpreet, thank you.